Good evening. Uh, my name is Bob Tavener. I'm Professor of um, Architecture and Urban Design and Director of the Cities Programme. This is the second public lecture the Cities Programme has hosted this term. The first one was the Sterling Lecture, um, which had A.L. Weissman talking about um, urban planning with a military edge to it, and he talked very much and very compellingly about uh, how certain developments in the Middle East are being um, corralled by uh, new walls and how existing buildings and villages are being penetrated uh, through military action, and it was a, it was a stunning lecture. Um, the, the lecture this evening takes not quite the same theme, but there's definitely a connection um, uh, in, in terms of the title, which is uh, Limited Access or the Open City. And it's going to be given by Professor Case Chris Jantz, who is Professor of Architecture and Urban Design at the ETH in Zurich. But he's also a very prominent um, urban planner and master planner uh, involved in many major European cities. Uh, he seems to be flying at the moment between Hamburg and Dublin and London uh, to his base in Zurich because uh, he heads uh, an outfit called KCAP, uh, which he founded um, a number of years ago. And KCAP um, have built up a reputation for um, a particular approach to thinking about cities. Because of this, he's become um, a key member of the mayor's um, advisory group um, looking at uh, London at the moment. Uh, and uh, it's in that role he's also um, therefore commenting on many of the major changes that are taking place within London. But in addition to that, through KCAP, he's, in, he's working on several major sites, not least Bishopsgate Goods Yard, immediately to the north of the city centre, but also um, he's won a major competition uh, in the more easterly outreaches of Thames Gateway. So... It's a great um, thrill to have Case Chris Jantz come and talk um, this evening, and not least because he is now a visiting professor to the city's program. Anyway, Case Chris Jantz. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I don't see anything of you. Um, this lecture has two titles. Um, Bob just uh, named the first title. The underlying title is The City is Not a Tree. The City Becomes a Tree. Um, maybe some of you read books and um, uh, know that this uh, City is Not a Tree it was written in 1965. Um, and... Um, I think that we could say that uh, what was uh, stated then, which will come later in this lecture, is a very actual uh, uh, item on the moment, um, especially in relation to uh, urban design, and especially in relation to how to create um, uh, today um, a sustainable society. This is um, Klaus Töpfer. He's the former uh, Minister of uh, Building uh, of the uh, German uh, Federal Republic 
and after that he became uh, the uh, UN Commissioner for Development of Third World Cities. And um, he thought that he would not be able to, uh, to know how to deal with that when he would not move to the Third World, and there, therefore he moved to uh, Kenya, to Nairobi, and lived there for nine years and worked uh, very strongly on uh, the development of uh, cities, on sustainable concepts for uh, the development of third world cities. And one of his, uh, he's now a professor in, uh, in Shanghai, um, one of his sayings is, the battle for a sustainable society is won or lost in the city. And uh, that's a very, um, maybe very banal remark, but it's a very true remark. It means that the city... Um, in uh, relation to um, um, innovation is extremely uh, important. Um, the density especially. Um, we now know that about two-thirds of the population uh, in the world is, uh, is going to be living in cities, um, and not uh, simply in uh, suburban developments or in uh, half-rural uh, cities, but especially in, in very dense cities. And very dense cities are also uh, places um, of um, urban innovation. If you look at this left picture, you see Chinatown, um, which is uh, typically uh, a development of an open, uh, closed community in a uh, dense city, because um, in the um, free grid of an American city, um, a community of Chinese is forming uh, let's say, a town inside uh, the city. And this town inside the city, at the same time, is a, is a um, closed community in a sense that takes care of itself, but at the same time, it also is an open community because it communicates in a very strong way by means of its shops, uh, restaurants, etc., with the rest uh, of the city, and it overlaps with other communities. So in that respect, um, the dense city as a kind of uh, concentrated uh, place where a lot of uh, cultures are coming together leads to the um, interaction of cultures and to the establishment of new social uh, circuits and innovation. Um, this was written by Henri Lefebvre, by Rem Koulas, by uh, Saskia Sassen, by Richard Florida. So there's a whole, in, in the meantime, there's a whole body of uh, social scientist material that uh, proves that. And... Um, Contrary to, for instance, uh, anti-urbanists or uh, anti-urban utopists like Frank Lloyd Wright in his Brodeck City, um, who uh, there are always people who, who think that um, there is a kind of uh, utopia of, uh, of comfort and, and um, balance between nature and, uh, and countryside and, uh, and city, um, the innovation um, of culture and of human uh, science uh, takes place in density, and that's a, a quite an important uh, thing. So we have to maybe um, um, decide that we want to make very sustainable, attractive, and livable dense uh, cities. But at the same time, these dense cities are also the produ producers of enormous uh, amounts of waste and pollution and misuse. Uh, this is, for instance, the smog cloud above Beijing, which is enormous, and uh, sometimes uh, people suffocate in this city, and even uh, very draconic measurements against car use will not prevent uh, the generation of this uh, smoke because of the different uh, side conditions that are happening there. 
And the same is uh, applicable to the use of water, uh, for instance, in the area of Beijing. The uh, ground level, um, um, level of uh, the groundwater is, uh, has been sunken so much um, that uh, they almost can't find it anymore and that they have almost uh, arrived at very serious geological problems, not only of dark problems, but also of uh, geological problems. We have uh, very difficult uh, conditions in terms of uh, waste um, and uh, processing of waste. People in Lagos live almost completely uh, in garbage. We have um, enormous differences between rich and poor. This is maybe one of the key pictures. Um, you all know this picture very well because it's uh, standing in the Internet uh, all over the place. It's one of the best pictures ever taken about uh, the relation between density and, uh, and, and um, the generation of a closed society. Um, there is an enormous difference between rich and poor, and these communities block each other off. And remarkably, uh, the structures that the rich produce for themselves are uh, monofunctional, um, modernist, segregated structures, whereas the, the, the structures that the poor people make for themselves are, are more or less in terms of uh, urban uh, environment are potentially developable, sustainable structures. So it's a very interesting uh, way of looking at that uh, uh, context in terms of, uh, of uh, density. And we know, of course, that Los Angeles is uh, almost suffocating by the uh, freedom of sprawl, which uh, has no uh, real tradition of public transport and leads to a kind of tree-like development of suburbs, like uh, the title of this lecture uh, showed you, uh, in which no public transport is and everything has to be done uh, by car, um, moving people from one monofunctional area uh, to another monofunctional area. So if we say the density uh, is uh, the place where we should uh, look for uh, a sustainable um, innovation, and at the same time, uh, the conclusion is it's a very critical balance on the moment, or it is not even a balance. Um, and um, it is a very uh, important uh, task that we uh, deal with uh, with this. Then um, the city, Topfer says, is also, Klaus Topfer says, is also ex uh, exhausting the countryside. It takes its cheap labor, it takes its resources, it takes its food, uh, it takes its um, everything, and it gives back to the countryside uh, crime um, and uh, waste um, and uh, pollution. Um, these are workers um, in Bangladesh, Bangladeshi workers who work in Dubai on uh, extremely um, monofunctional uh, compounds like this uh, sports city with six football stadiums in the middle of the desert that are being designed simply to attract events from all over the world by airplane, um, which are temporary events and are uh, changing this place into a kind of uh, market hub that is only connected to the rest of the world by air. And these people from the Indian, Pakistani, and Bangladeshi countryside arrive at this uh, place. But, of course, this... A remark of Tupfer is a little bit rhetorical, um, one could say, because um, we cannot say anymore that uh, the, the, 
the earth consists of these nice pictures. Even when this uh, farmer works on his rice paddy in Indonesia, in these uh, in this beautiful uh, countryside, we know that uh, uh, immediately he is uh, by uh, 100 factors uh, interconnected to the density, and there is a kind of uh, un, um, um, inevitable connection uh, between the two. If we talk about um, trying to establish a sustainable community, we of course also have the uh, uh, paradoxical, dif uh, uh, paradoxical uh, difference between uh, the first world uh, and the third world, for instance. The first world has a sustainable condition of comfort within hand reach, while simultaneously energy use and emission increase. This is, for instance, uh, an ecological um, quarter uh, of housing, of social housing in the Netherlands and Amsterdam that we built, which has a density of 100 dwellings per hectare and at the same time has uh, most front doors of all apartments on grade level in order to produce uh, social cohesion and at the same time um, does not produce a, co a collective park but uh, cuts up the uh, uh, public space into allotments in order to uh, get the inhabitants to have a, a maximum of uh, um, involvement uh, with the maintenance of their public space. This, this place is very successful. Um, it's very ecological. It's almost a, a zero energy uh, neighborhood in terms of uh, heating and in terms of uh, water management. But at the same time, the specific people who live there are continuously increasing their consumption um, and uh, their energy emission uh, pro capita uh, in a country like the Netherlands. Um, is not sustainable at all. So we, it's a very paradoxical situation in relation to the third world because these people here, they do not live sustainable at all. Uh, they uh, live on waste, they burn wood, they uh, um, do whatever uh, is not according to the books of sustainable development, but they produce, however, only a fragment uh, of emissions that we do. Um, and of course, um, we are arriving at, at in, in a very uh, patriarchal or paternalistical situation in the sense that uh, we, by innovation and development of technology, are able to tell them to uh, employ certain methods um, of uh, management, of urban management or of town planning or of uh, uh, grouping uh, social behavior um, um, in their uh, urban uh, situations. And uh, we, of course, do not like very much to step down from our own way of life. And at the same time, these people, uh, they think that when we say that we are arrogant and they um, more or less have the ambition to live like us, which is uh, apparently to scientists, scientific uh, reports impossible because the, the earth will go down um, when, uh, when everybody lives uh, like we. But for instance, this uh, project here is an, is an illustration um, of the fact that it, uh, in some or other way it must be possible um, to help um, um, East European countries, uh, developing countries, uh, also ourselves or derelict uh, neighborhoods in Liverpool, to use uh, low-tech quality technology um, to produce uh, very simple, uh, effective uh, results. This is, for instance, a dome out of a special fabric. This dome uh, becomes very hot 
this fabric is uh, very heat absorbing. And um, what you can do is you can uh, let seawater go down into a pit under the dome and it will evaporate and then uh, on the cloth it will uh, condensate and then it will come down and it will be uh, turning into, uh, into drinking water. So there are very, uh, uh, this is a, a, an invention that we of course um, have been doing after um, maybe 90 years of developing combustion engine and about uh, 50 years of developing the jet engine, um, we arrive at a kind of a state of uh, efficiency uh, that we can uh, turn our, uh, our technology to, to things like that. It uh, shows that there's an enormous palais of possibilities and um, it also um, leads this discussion leads also again to a to a paradoxical attitude because uh, people like George Bush use these um, developments as an argument to say that sustainability can be only arrived at by voluntariness. And they say uh, we have to put people together in the city. If you say that uh, the dense city is the place where innovation takes place, uh, we have to. Uh, let uh, free enterprise flow because then uh, internet will be developed and the, uh, the jet engine will be developed and it will be optimized by uh, reducing sound and, uh, and energy uh, use, etc. And um, so I will not uh, sign the uh, Kyoto Protocol. These red countries are the countries that didn't sign the Kyoto Protocol. But of course, um, it's a question of mentality and if we want to deal with such a an attitude, um, we have to uh, do, uh, we have to um, comply self-limitation. But of course, people like Bush say, okay, we built this biggest dome uh, in the world on the moment, under construction, uh, a big ski resort, uh, also in Dubai. And um, of course, we have invented the refrigerator, and it's not so difficult to use the principle of the refrigerator to turn the heat of the desert into cold and, and by means of this machine here we could probably uh, arrive in 10 years at a sustainable cooling of all skyscrapers in Dubai in a zero energy uh, condition. This of course is maybe uh, very uh, adventurous but not the way to have an attitude towards uh, the development of an open sustainable society uh, based on, uh, on an urban culture. Now, if we talk about what we can do as architects and urban designers, um, there uh, we can, of course, uh, involve ourselves in sustainable technology. We can make buildings that are energy uh, reducing, um, etc. But I think if we work on the level of urban design, uh, there is one aspect which is more important, which is urban social sustainability. And maybe you can say that the sustainable effect uh, of quality um, is being reached by the combination of sustainable technology, which is uh, energy reduction, etc., and urban and social sustainability. What is urban and social sustainability? If you take uh, the city of Tokyo, um, you know that the city is uh, extremely dense, um, and uh, the people in Tokyo, they live in very narrow streets traditionally, um, and they also live uh, per capita on a very small amount of square meters, which leads to the situation that of all um, um, developed cities, Tokyo is the most dense uh, city, more or less, that you can imagine, whereas at the same time, until uh, 10 years ago, relatively low rise. 
um, and it is extremely difficult um, at all uh, to use a car. So car use um, is uh, therefore also uh, politically uh, restricted. You can only have a car when you have a parking place, and you can only have uh, a parking place when you have almost more money than an apartment because a parking place is about the same size as an apartment and it's also the same price as an apartment. Um, which leads uh, to the fact, um, together with the, with the, the, the situation that uh, uh, Tokyo has a very narrow street pattern, that car use is uh, for a normal person almost impossible and it's reflected in that diagram. This red stitchy line down um, is the uh, average car ownership in, uh, in these countries, Australia, Canada, France, etc. And you see that overall Japan has a very low uh, car ownership uh, performance and um, you must reckon that even the uh, countryside is part of this, uh, this diagram. So that means that in the city um, it, uh, it is even less. It automatically has resulted into the development of an extreme high uh, sophisticated system of uh, public transport in the past uh, 35 years. And um, you see that uh, this public transport is used in, uh, more or less virtually by everybody every day, much more than, uh, than even in London. And um, there is a, a strong correlation between the, uh, the increase of density and the amount of people that use public transport, as you can see in that diagram from U.S. cities. On the left-hand uh, side, you see New York, and on the right-hand side, you see Jacksonville that is very sprawled and very um, empty. So um, Tokyo, um, as a result, has an ecological footprint um, because of its compact footprint in relation to the amount of people and the few uh, car ownership uh, that, uh, that Tokyo has, has an ecological footprint on this level that is uh, considerably lower than uh, uh, other Western uh, cities. And um, this means that if we uh, are able to influence the form of the city, if we, influence, if we can influence as urban designers and politicians for instance, factors like density or factors like um, 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 functional differentiation, uh, then we may be uh, able to arrive at an enormous uh, toolkit uh, that can influence uh, a sustainable, innovative uh, living condition in cities uh, um, by, uh, partly by planning and politics. And of course, um, there is a lot of uh, fatalism in urban design. People say, well, we, you know, Look at Tokyo, look at London, it's all shit. Uh, it's just a kind of uh, growing cancer that uh, is only partly into control. But this is not true. If you look at social democratic uh, societies and you look at the uh, growth of, uh, of cities, then you see that, uh, first of all, these cities uh, are a reflection of the developments within these social democratic societies, first of all. And secondly, you see that uh, by this collective by a certain collective ambitions and ideals, the city is being shaped. And uh, you can very clearly see this in Japan. Um, this is uh, the waterfront of Tokyo, Yokohama, and it's almost entirely man-made, and it's uh, being developed, and it's being the result of a more or less liberal social democratic society, um, which means that uh, the uh, degree of intervention um, um, in this uh, field is possible. 
uh, a simple illustration. Here is the Olympic Village. Whatever you think about the Olympic Games in London, it's a, uh, it's a big intervention that is being planned by the combination of politics and, uh, and social democracy, um, which, is, uh, which is a very interesting uh, phenomenon. If, uh, if I talk about this uh, social sustainability, then I should maybe say uh, or tell you what for, for us as designers are the most important uh, points uh, from this uh, social, uh, sustainability, social sustainability aspect. And um, here you see what, in our opinion, in our work, are the most important criteria uh, to use uh, when we plan uh, parts of cities. First of all, transformation strategies from status quo. Um, we do not make urban designs that are fixed visions. Um, we do not make fixed urban designs that are being drawn and then being implemented. We are taking the status quo, the context, extremely serious, more or less um, maybe ridiculously serious, because we think that a lot of um, traces um, in this uh, status quo are very important, not only traces in the terms of uh, uh, qualitative buildings or structures or uh, um, beautiful elements from the past, but also in terms of uh, activities um, uh, on site, uh, if they are uh, low-budget activities or high-budget activities, uh, whatever, uh, does not matter. We take the existing condition, we declare it more or less as an urban design, and from then we start different development scenarios from the status quo that leads to uh, uh, certain um, developments and concentrations. Which also um, leads to the second point. Always um, um, take care that a scheme should react to unforeseen events. Because um, if Ken Livingston goes, uh, goes next year, uh, there's another mayor coming and he wants uh, the west of London to develop instead of the east. It's a, it's a bit uh, overdrawn, but um, the political cycle uh, from of four years to five years um, in, uh, in um, um, social democracy uh, has such remarkable changes uh, in uh, city development uh, as a result that you always must take care that you make a kind of uh, robust framework in which you can uh, react to unforeseen events um, in your uh, design. Identity of a place is very important. Traces is very important. Density, like I told you, is very important. Efficient land use. Mixed use is very important. Create conditions for mixed use because by uh, um, confronting cultures and functions uh, with each other, there's a certain um, friction um, being developed and out of this friction, uh, urbanity is being generated. Create activating zones in grade level and mezzanine areas so that your uh, townscape uh, is uh, uh, possibly transparent and uh, creates uh, self-generating transitions between public and private in which private people colonize public space and vice versa and the kind of uh, um, fuzzy transition between public and private is being generated. Think very strongly about uh, mobility concept and think about uh, the car as the most important aspect to think about, not because we want the car, but because the car is the most um, problematic uh, part of uh, urban design on this moment. 
So you have to have a, a, an automobile concept for every urban design, which is very, uh, which is very good, um, unless every urban design goes down the drain. And uh, this is co very strongly connected to uh, the system of uh, public spaces, the public space network, because the network of public spaces, which I want to talk about from now on, um, is uh, the communicator of, uh, of, of cities and is the interface of, uh, of interaction, is the creator of urbanity, and therefore the network of public space, also especially with uh, the relationship to car use, is uh, extremely uh, important. Now, um, I told you the city is becoming a tree, and if we don't have cities anymore but urbanized landscape, maybe we could say the urbanized landscape becomes a forest, and um, this is a very serious uh, situation. Um, if we look at an arbitrary part of a city on the, on the left side, um, you would um, uh, have public space up to the middle of the 19th century functioning like the left uh, diagram. Every human activity and human interface took place in public space uh, between the buildings uh, in the city, um, transport, post. There was no telephone. There was no uh, electronic uh, connection. Everything uh, had its interface uh, in public space. So it was, let's say, it was the, the most important hub of information, goods transportation and communication between the city, and that's why also the trade uh, the exchange of knowledge, etc., took place. And today it's the same, a little bit. If we take the same city, uh, there are many old cities like London or Amsterdam uh, that uh, more or less stay constant in a, in a physical way uh, up to a certain extent, but they change completely in terms of their content. If you take, for instance, the right uh, diagram, you see that uh, the complete a uh, diagram of interface has changed. Um, if this uh, red thing is a shopping street or is uh, King Street here, there is one line, one big red line, people going uh, to and fro. These people, these people are just one type of people. They're not anymore the diverse, uh, interacting, uh, differentiated uh, people who use public space formally, but these people uh, are the fun shopper, uh, the, the commuter who wants to uh, catch his uh, subway train, uh, etc. And in their heads there are clouds of their social networks that are uh, being uh, far away uh, by internet, uh, uh, an uncle in uh, Cambridge, uh, etc. People have uh, various networks in their heads and are only partly concentrated on public space. And public space is only used uh, for uh, pedestrian transport or maybe a little bit more um, and um, um, commercial ex exchange into compounds that are um, increasingly internalized. Formerly, everything happened outside in an open condition, and today um, everything happens much more internalized. You can maybe compare it uh, between this uh, pedestrian part of uh, Hong Kong, where the whole uh, shopfront area is open, um, and um, the Chinatown creates a kind of uh, positive ghetto of, uh, of community. Um, and um, at the same time, these communities, they can also uh, um, close themselves completely. Like, for instance, here, this is Sadr City by Doxiadis in Baghdad. It's one of the... Doxiadis was a pupil of Le Corbusier. 
he designed uh, Southern City. Very beautiful uh, urban design of, uh, of housing, mainly in uh, patio typology. And um, this is also um, an area colonized by such a social group, but you could call it a negative uh, community because within the city it works as a closed community uh, and it works as a no-go area. So what we see is uh, in, uh, in the city, we would like, of course, to see the old city or the, the city that we, that we all dream of, which is a, a, a grid uh, of streets and squares and places in which uh, social communities and social networks in different colors um, are uh, nesting themselves. Um, they are interacting. They are overlapping. But what happens instead is uh, uh, the city uh, as a tree where there is a, 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 a limited system of access in which islands of seclusiveness um, are uh, connected only by one or two access points and um, prevent an intercommunication between parts uh, of, uh, of the city. You see an example of a shopping center in, uh, in the center of Rotterdam, which could be anywhere and which has um, two or three points of access. And these two points of, of access, um, they um, do not link really uh, into a streetscape like this. This is also a shopping center in the Netherlands, in the city of Groningen, but it has um, colonized medieval uh, buildings and uh, the traffic system has under the influence of a conscious urban design uh, not being separated into different uh, kinds like pedestrian uh, cars and bicycles. They are integrated in a subtle way uh, in the middle of the street and they create uh, a connectivity and a communication potential with the same program which is completely different uh, than this shopping center in uh, Rotterdam. This is a map from the uh, book Ladders by Alf Albert Pope very nice book. It costs about 300 uh, euros uh, with Amazon.com now. It's a little book because uh, it's out of print and everybody wants to read it. Um, it shows the map of Houston um, in white, the traditional street pattern of uh, street blocks, and in black, the growing uh, system of uh, covered shopping malls that are interconnected and create a kind of secondary closed and limited access space uh, on top of the city, which leads to the fact that the streets themselves are reduced to uh, merely car streets, um, destroying the center of, uh, of Houston. It's more or less uh, a, a situation uh, which you also see uh, between two blocks, the difference between two blocks in Hong Kong. Um, in some blocks, you still have an enormous active street life, and on other blocks, the uh, difference between the first level and interconnected uh, public uh, amenities and shopping um, and on grade level the uh, transport by individual cars is completely separated uh, destroying the city up to uh, a certain extent. Now these are very placative <coughs> models but uh, there are many uh, let's say uh, hiding models of this uh, tendency. The left diagram here is the um, hospital cluster in the middle of um, Rotterdam, um, which is increasingly controlled by cameras, have, has increasingly uh, limited access to certain users, and is in the middle of the city, an academic environment 
which, uh, which uh, changes gradually into a compound rather than into a open filtering um, urban area. And on the right-hand side here, you see uh, a map of the area around Times Square in New York, which is uh, a beautiful part of city. And if you go to Times Square and you are a little bit naive uh, or not experienced with urban design and with the past of Times Square, you will think that you are in a normal part of town. But everybody knows that this contour is the contour of a property that a consortium uh, under the leadership of Disneyland um, has bought. And you are more or less into a fake version uh, of the real version itself in the real version uh, at the same time, which is a very alarming condition that is being uh, generated in many parts um, in uh, um, modern cities. And of course, it was uh, the result of an open thought, because we must not forget that these tendencies are not um, the result uh, of mean uh, politicians or mean capitalists that only think about controlling society and that only want uh, to, uh, to have uh, a clean, uh, uh, orderly uh, town without, without any, uh, any uh, cultural uh, problems, etc. On the contrary, this uh, condition is being uh, developed by the open uh, society and by the open city itself. The tendency to have free trade in land use, uh, to have free trade of uh, real estate, to have uh, an entrepreneur being free to develop what he wants leads to uh, these kind of uh, situations, which is a very important notion. Uh, when we uh, talk about proceeding uh, with uh, urban design. Because uh, Buckminster Fillers Dome, across the same area in New York that Disneyland has bought, is more or less a, a physical, uh, a physical uh, uh, gesture out of the 1960s, which was at that time a very le legitimate thought in uh, the situation of society um, and would now be uh, considered as something completely killing. And uh, the same is applicable for... Uh, the utopia of Super Studio um, out of the same period, 1968, where uh, people were suggested to take off their clothes and become naked uh, and uh, walk across a well-tempered uh, plane of uh, technology condition um, and feel free to live anywhere and to eat anywhere and to sleep anywhere and to entertain itself anywhere in the world. Um, <clears throat> these things have partly become true but in a kind of different vêtement, uh, uh, these people um, are boring. Uh, they are bored, uh, like you see, and they are uh, definitely not. Uh, they are de definitely not taking off their clothes, and they are um, definitely not, not doing interesting things with each other. Um, this is a real uh, problem. This generation. Uh, by the free city of non-free space. And it is quite interestingly de depicted by these two diagrams out of the same book by Albert Pope, which on the left side shows uh, street patterns that are anti-hierarchical, that have no difference between a highway and a, uh, a pedestrian way, that have building blocks that, blocks that are multidirectional, uh, that have the possibility to move from one arbitrary spot in a townscape to another arbitrary spot in the townscape 
by at least five or ten uh, different uh, ways, um, which means that uh, the uh, amount of touching length uh, of an individual in the city is maximized, and it creates uh, the possibility to activate the city. Whereas the, the tendency of nowadays, um, both inner city shopping malls as well as the development of uh, suburbs or the uh, um, um, implementation of uh, university campuses or business parks or airport cities create a, a landscape of what uh, Pope calls ladders. Now it also becomes clear what he, becomes with, uh, what he means with ladders, which is uh, a very strong analogy uh, with the tree of Alexander, uh, Christopher Alexander. Uh, in his article, The City is uh, Not a Tree, from 1965. And you can also very clearly see that um, this city, um, apart from nostalgic thoughts, uh, is a city in which um, uh, um, polyvalence, multivalence is, uh, is reigning, in which there are potentials, if, in which there are possibilities of, uh, of niches, of differences. And this city uh, is a city where there is only probably one or two ways of transport to arrive from one place to the other, and there's only one or two points of access to get into the, from the one compound in the other, reducing the communication potential of the city in an enormous way. That's what Alexander uh, told us already in 1965 as also a criticism to modernism. But of course, he wasn't at, the, at that time not conscious of the fact that this was a product of, uh, of modernist urbanism, uh, but this would be a product of a natural generation of the open city because also uh, modern urbanism at its time was extremely legitimate, um, I would say, and is not a period which some, some people try to say of mistakes and of uh, uh, narrow-mindedness. Of course not. The people who created modernist urbanism were lucid thinkers. They were uh, geniuses for their time, and uh, the conditions of, the, of their time um, uh, legitimated this kind of, uh, these kind of proposals, which doesn't mean that they are right now but uh, at that time they were. And, um, but now we see that the principle that Alexander warned for is a kind of self-destructing uh, property um, of uh, the free city. Is that really so? Yes, it is really so. This is the north uh, ring road of uh, Zurich. You see here the ring road, and you see left top, you see the uh, airport. You see all kinds of... Uh, sprawl settlements uh, on this, uh, in this uh, context. You see uh, a big shopping center along the highway. You see business parks, uh, etc. You see a generic part of um, transition between city and countryside, um, which could be more or less everywhere. If you analyze the street pattern of that area, these are pictures that we do uh, as student research in our uh, institute. If you analyze the uh, street pattern, you will see that you, uh, it's not so bad because it's not, uh, a, it's not a simple uh, tree or ladder configuration. It still has a kind of uh, character of a web. But at the same time, you see there are strong tendencies of, uh, of uh, um, turning into, into branches. And if, but if you look at the, the settlements that are depicted on this, uh, on this uh, network, then you see what really happens. You see all 
most exclusively you see not networked parts uh, of, uh, of, of, of urban fragment. You see that most of them uh, are uh, cul-de-sacs and most of them are only connected uh, to each other by this very highway or by the very uh, railway system. Um, and um, you can forget about any pedestrian uh, uh, quality of, a, of, a, of such a part of town except for very local uh, positions. So this leads, of course, um, if we think what are the consequences of this, what is the most extreme thing, we could think that the, the most extreme result of that would be something like this. This is a, uh, a diagram that OMA made uh, of the city of Dubai, and um, it shows the uh, mosaic of private property in relation to uh, public space. Now, the only two parts of three parts of public space in this diagram is the ochre, which is the desert, uh, the sea, which is uh, the white, and this kind of little uh, purple uh, strip, almost uh, less than 1% of the total surface uh, of Dubai, and the rest is a connectivity based on borders. It is a kind of autistic relationship um, of introverted uh, compounds against uh, each other, and that may be uh, the consequence um, of urban development um, if we do not consciously work on a public space network system in relation to the, the, the aspect of speed, the aspect of public and individual um, large-scale transport, um, if we do not tackle this in our cities, then we do not arrive at a sustainable city. And you can also say that the city that I just showed you, that that is the global city, and that this global city of Saskia Sassen, which is this city, um, is maybe also a global city, because it is a, a very specific place. It is uh, a very beautiful place. It is a very dense place. It's a topographically attractive, um, and therefore it attracts global uh, actors that, uh, that, that weave a global network. But um, one could at the same time argue that this is the global city, because this global city um, is more or less generated everywhere. We have still specific differences between the center of London, between the center of Amsterdam, the financial district of New York. They're global cities, but they're highly specific, locally developed, attractive urban ambiances. But the the anti-model global city that I'm talking about is this. It's a, a mid-sized town somewhere in the countryside. This mid-sized town is in the neighborhood of a big town. So uh, there's an enormous uh, amount of planning uh, of uh, suburban and peripheral development going on. You see here on the left down, you see uh, new streets in the form of uh, closed systems, ladders uh, or trees being uh, laid out. You see that uh, they have a perfect way of uh, drawing a zoning plan all over the world. Uh, the zoning plan uh, consists of different colors, uh, where housing is, where amenities are, where recreation green is, and where water is. It has a certain coding for uh, the depicting of uh, how uh, roads should be de designed, etc. Um, they have uh, the same billboards in which they uh, explain uh, 
uh, how they are going to construct uh, this uh, type of city. And some of them have special few features. For instance, this one has its, uh, its tree-like access road uh, being laid down into a park, which makes uh, the uh, dragon uh, much more attractive than it in uh, reality is. They all have the same typology uh, of, uh, of residential development. And it doesn't matter if I would show you schools, they would also have the same uh, typology, the same kind of public space. In some places where uh, wages are low, the uh, public space is better maintained than in, in, in places where the wages are high. Uh, school complex. Um, they're all made by uh, shit architects uh, on the one hand, and then sometimes promising young architects with an architectural signature that is uh, remarkable and certainly uh, suddenly uh, brings a certain color to uh, such a suburb. These architecture offices look the same uh, from Moscow to London to Shanghai to Rotterdam. Um, and you can go there with your students uh, on excursion. They build these they build this global city, being part of this global city themselves. They use even the same styropore uh, for their models um, in the same way. And uh, sometimes such a mid-sized town has also uh, a similar center as everywhere else, where there are even gondolas um, moving tourists from one place to another. And they have, of course, um, the um, reconsidered shopping mall, which is a, a human shopping mall, combining old and new, uh, combining pedestrian uh, and small-scale shopping with large-scale cinemas and housing uh, above. And in these pedestrian areas, the same board youth, uh, like anywhere, uh, are sitting uh, on the street furniture that is being designed by any uh, architect um, in any shape uh, which looks the same uh, all over the globe. And um, sometimes the police drives in Cadillacs, uh, like in this midside town, and sometimes they drive in Volkswagens. But in a way, uh, they are making, uh, they, are, they are being exactly the same. And I think it's very important to work on this uh, global city um, to recreate the notion of density and the, the notion of public space network in relation to the scale of transport, um, uh, to redefine the idea of uh, mixed use in these areas, because if we do not, do not do that, then we will have the segregated city in the end. Because this global city, uh, which I just showed you, it was Kingpu, uh, 100 kilometers from Shanghai, um, also exists in very mean versions like this one. This is a Jewish settlement <coughs> in Jerusalem, near Jerusalem, and we also did a research there. And this is a map that uh, one of my assistants uh, and his students made of that area. And you see in blue, you see on the left, you see this uh, global city as a ladder, as a monofunctional compound where the same type of suburban families with the same type of exchangeable children live that go to the same type of exchangeable schools. Um, but of course, here is something else. There is really only one road, and this one road is guarded by people with guns 
and uh, there is also uh, a residue uh, of uh, previous settlements by Palestinian people who used the topography uh, in relation to their agriculture. Um, and this confrontation is very dramatic and also shows that uh, spaces of conflict, this is from a book that we made, Spaces of Conflict, um, are very um, extreme in these kind of conditions, but the spaces of conflict in a normal suburban conditions are sometimes also uh, similar, but uh, of course there's no violence, there's no uh, hunger, and uh, there's no threat. Uh, it's all uh, very much softer. This, for instance, is Gugturk. We also researched Gugturk. Um, and Gugturk is the biggest gated community in the vicinity of Istanbul. It's a uh, community uh, settled on the right-hand side here into a previous village and um, was completely uh, realized illegal because it's a drinkwater um, resource area and it's a natural forest uh, area. The motorway to Istanbul is even uh, illegal and the people of this gated community even have discos in the center of Istanbul and they have jeeps, land rovers, where they drive their adolescent kids on Friday night to these discos by a chauffeur where they can freak out in the middle of the center of Istanbul and being driven back in their land rovers on the illegal motorway to the illegal gated community where they live. Um, it's a very, very uh, provocative or shocking example, not as shocking as Jerusalem, but still shocking. But on the other hand, there's also hope, maybe, for our suburbs. Because if you look at the map of this uh, village, you see uh, the shocking part, which is the red, the red lines are the trees and the ladders that are sometimes completely parallel circuits to the official streets of the village. But you see pictures of copies uh, of that area that more or less make up 90% uh, of the uh, built environment of that area now. But here you see if the uh, gated communities are all blue, you see that uh, these colored spots are settlements uh, partly within the old village, partly squatted, partly built overnight. These are uh, the so-called gated condos and partly yapsat apartments, which are apartments that have been built later on to replace one of these Gechi condos and urbanize an area. These um, um, spots are being invaded <coughs> by immigrants from eastern Turkey who have no money, who settle on the side of the walls, uh, like poor farmers in medieval cities in London and Cambridge, and they start to create uh, urban activities in the form of uh, they start to make uh, repair tires for people's cars. They start to bake bread. They start to do anything. And there is a kind of gradual um, free city being settled in between those gated communities that also organize, like in the beginning I showed you this Chinatown, they organize in communities. You have a... Uh, uh, people from Kurdistan, you have people from uh, Anatolia, they all more or less settle in their own communities in open uh, interaction with each other. And they create these kind of environments. And in, uh, in the end stadium 
uh, let's say, of development of such a suburb. There is an urbanized center, which is not planned, uh, which has been uh, generated spontaneously, and which more or less neutralizes uh, the effect of these hard-gated communities, also opens them up because these people offer services uh, that uh, can be used uh, by these people, and you get these contrasts uh, um, as uh, very beautiful um, pictures that we would rather love to see in our own suburbs uh, somewhere here. Now, um, we are partly, we've partly been planning uh, uh, part of this new town of Leidserheim, which is the Milton Keynes, but uh, only 10 years old in the Netherlands. And, um, of course, we are confronted with the ingredients that I just showed you. So we have a kind of Lego building kit, um, 500 houses uh, of uh, four bedrooms, one family with 10 meters garden and a carport in front of it, uh, one primary school, one um, um, uh, uh, grammar school, social condenser, medical uh, cluster, uh, motorway exit, um, free busway that will be turned into a tram track later, uh, blah, blah, blah. And um, how to deal with that if you uh, know about these things. So we did something illegal here. You see this uh, access road, this big access road running through the north. This big access road normally is a road which runs free uh, through the meadows in our country because the sound regulations and the emission regulations, the, the laws, are so strong that it's impossible to build in their vicinity. The only way you can build these access streets, who are vital urbanizers when you could use them right, um, is by means of a sound, a noise wall, or by means uh, of uh, a dike uh, in which you don't see the settlements anymore. So to make an integrated urban design ID for such an area that will use the access road as an urbanizing uh, element instead of a separating element which lies in its genes, it's incorporated in its genes already, um, to do that, you have to do something illegal. What we did is we placed all the buildings alongside this. We put this road in the middle of the settlement and then put all the buildings alongside this road and we made big uh, living spaces and um, um, workshop spaces along this road. But these spaces are officially uh, corridor uh, of a house. So they're not, they're officially they're non-rooms. Uh, um, uh, non and by means of declaring these officially non-rooms, we were allowed to build them and immediately this road starts to urbanize. So you get a kind of um, reinvention of an urbanized country road between two uh, mid-sized towns where farms gradually turn into uh, urbanized areas where there are tank stations and uh, whatever. Of course, this is, um, you see the uh, initial construction of it. Of course, this is only an attempt, but it shows uh, uh, in its attempt by the, by, way, by, uh, by the way, urban design and implementing urban design is at least 50% failure, but you know that if you look at uh, cities. Uh, by, by employing this attempt, um, we get step for step, step by step, we get a little bit more into the possibility uh, of, uh, of creating more dense mixed uh, environments uh, again. 
And um, maybe um, one of the last projects I show you is the harbor city in uh, Hamburg, because I think that in the harbor city in Hamburg, we are arriving at something uh, unplanned, which is something like which you would call maybe urban memory, and how to design urban memory. The harbor city in Hamburg is uh, uh, a free harbor, which completely was uh, given over to the city, and the city decided to extend her center there. Formerly, it used to be one of the most important harbors in Hamburg, but now it is obsolete. And we made, uh, uh, we did the competition for this uh, for this waterfront area. It's a, it's an enormous area. It's about the size as the Royal Docks area around London City Airport, between Canary Wharf and uh, in London City Airport. And uh, it will contain, in the end, uh, something like three million square meters of uh, built volume. There are some uh, nice traces there. And we designed uh, a scheme uh, that, was, uh, that is mostly characterized by this picture. It is not a zoning plan, uh, as you see, but it is also not a, a specific uh, physical design. It is something in between which fixes uh, very strongly public space. It fixes very strongly the public space network. It also determines very strongly the relationship between car use uh, and slow traffic use. And it also uh, establishes very strongly the relationship between recreational space and public transport. And then building fields are being left over. And these building fields are developed according to a building code which defines the density, the characteristics, uh, the uh, degree of mixture. Uh, in every plan, but this is a kind of open process which gradually changes during uh, the development of the scheme. So this is a very uh, early uh, picture uh, of uh, the urban design according to which building blocks and buildings could be uh, uh, infiltrated there. You see, for instance, on this uh, south thong, you see these, uh, black, these dark red towers standing on blocks. We had a kind of system of... Uh, uh, a standard perimeter block that could be changing into character from place to place. Now this picture is completely, uh, has, is completely obsolete, it's completely past, because on the basis of the previous drawing and on the basis um, of the um, friction between the different stakeholders, politics, uh, the city architect, us, investors, um, protesting uh, inhabitants, um, water management problems, um, etc. The German railway uh, company. Um, the whole, um, the whole scheme was tested until its limits. It was tested um, to such an ex extent uh, to its limits that you sometimes could not uh, speak of a scheme anymore. In this moment, it looks like this, um, and you see that uh, although it was tested to its, its limits. Um, the real uh, buildings are more or less wrestling uh, in a kind of relationship between con being contextual and being, uh, being very uh, strongly uh, individually developed. It's, uh, sometimes it is completely ugly. You can't believe how ugly it is in some quarters. But um, sometimes it's also very uh, beautiful. But the, the interesting thing is that even in the spots where it is extremely ugly, um, 
you, you, you notice that it doesn't matter because the overall structure of connectivity, of networking, of, uh, of scale, uh, of relation public-private is perfectly in order, although there is a, is a, is a very strong freedom, there's a very strong unpredictability uh, of how politicians and architects are, uh, are dealing with this scheme. And that makes it very interesting. And I, I, I really can say, for instance, for that center part, that in, in a way we are uh, creating a kind of urban memory avant la lettre because, of course, the, uh, to say that you are creating urban memory is extremely arrogant. Urban memory is something that Rome has or Vienna. It's a palimpsest uh, of, uh, of uh, um, centuries uh, that create different layers of uh, perception that create an idea of uh, how the city transformed. An enormous depth uh, this depth uh, you can call uh, urban memory, in which you can also read much more than the superficial uh, connotation of buildings and spaces. But in a way, um, this place gradually uh, develops uh, something like that, something as an initiation to that, because it does not, uh, it is not dependent on one individual. It is also not uh, an arbitrary chaos. It is a kind of uh, uh, set uh, of, of consensus uh, attitudes because most of the rules that we laid down are basis. But uh, the non-written rules about behavior between the different stakeholders in this scheme are maybe even important as the, as the drawn and written rules that we made develops into uh, a very interesting uh, environment. And for instance... This is the center part. The center part is about the same size of the Potsdamer Platz uh, complex in, uh, in Berlin. And um, the same developers, uh, uh, the same competitors as developers wanted to build this place. And most of these developers, they covered, uh, and I come back to Buckminster Fuller and Times Square, they covered uh, the whole area in glass. They made uh, a great level of shopping. Uh, they made entrance lobbies of glass for offices that were above. Um, and um, you could get out of, the, uh, out of the subway system without getting wet. You could park your car without getting wet. Um, you, uh, you even had a hard time to try to get wet uh, in, this, uh, in this city. And we selected uh, the developer uh, that, uh, that did not do that. Um, there was one developer, which was uh, by chance a Dutch developer, who said, I am going to cover, uh, I will not go to cover any street, I promise you. Um, I will uh, make grade level uh, shop fronts, but I will take care that there are also public amenities and there will also be um, uh, public-private activities on small scale. I will uh, put at least 25% uh, uh, or 30% of residential between the blocks in the shopping area. Um, and uh, therefore, he more or less stated to create uh, a certain mixed-use uh, townscape uh, in which uh, the network of public spaces uh, as part of the central part of this harbor city would be uh, open. You see the entrance uh, coming from the center. Of, uh, of Hamburg going into that area. Very diverse uh, architecture will be uh, realized. 
you see still the shapes uh, of that entrance. You see a building which doesn't fit at all, which is the new cruise terminal with hotel and bus uh, uh, parking by uh, Maximilian Fuxas. Um, of course, uh, an architect who is more or less uh, self-centered on his plot. Uh, but the strength uh, of the urban design allows these kind of excesses uh, to happen. You see the rhythm of uh, residential towers along the quay uh, under construction. You see the uh, old warehouse on the tip, uh, which, get, which will, be, will have a uh, philharmonic a building by Herzog and Dumeron on top of it. And there will be a public square on the, uh, uh, in, the sl in the slit uh, between the old warehouse and this uh, cloudy philharmony. And here you see the, uh, the tissue in between that is being generated. It's a real tissue uh, with a very uh, careful dealing with uh, public space elements and traces. What we, for instance, do is we, have, we, we were obliged to raise the whole area two and a half meters because of, uh, because of flooding problems in the future. And um, we didn't want that because uh, we wanted to keep all the old key walls uh, intact. So you see here what the solution was. We raised the whole area where the buildings are on, also put the parking in that podium, but left the kind of uh, six meter wide band of the old level intact where public space along the water is being generated, incorporating also the old key constructions that create an especial um, historical aspect, a, a kind of identity generating, like you see here, um, between old and, uh, and new, which is extremely uh, important. And um, it's getting quite successful, even, so that you see that I'm here explaining it to our, our future king of the Netherlands, Willem Alexander. And um, uh, my conclusion is that we should not strive, uh, we, do, we should not have an, a naive idea of uh, open system and sustainability uh, in a dense city that can be realized throughout everywhere. The most important uh, lesson, I think, of this these kind of practical activities is that there's a balance between the secluded uh, and the open, uh, and that an open city consists of a right equilibrium between uh, an open system uh, and also very many closed, larger and smaller closed systems, but that have a certain method of communication in between. So, and now you may say whether... Uh, we can say in uh, 200 years there was a closed city until 1820. Um, then the city opened up, and around 2080 uh, it closed again. And this was a very remarkable period in the history of humanity. Thank you very much. This is an opportunity, obviously, for, for you to ask some, some questions, and I'm not going to try and summarize such a complex 
lecture um, before opening it up to the floor, but I think it's important to um, just pick on one aspect, um, or it's the privilege, I suppose, of, of, of chairing something like this that I can ask the first question. But um, you talked about uh, in each era the, um, the visionaries, be they Buckminster Fuller or um, Christopher Alexander, were working within the system of their time. And uh, you've talked about the importance of uh, spatial connectivity and the way it responds to um, current technological and other social changes. But what also seems to be a constant through any period is is ownership, um, who owns the land uh, when a street can be truly public or uh, when it's actually controlled by a management committee who prohibits um, how people enjoy or interact freely within that type of environment. Um, and you talked about in, with, with Hamburg how you had an enlightened developer who happened to be Dutch um, who allowed certain things um, to happen. I mean, the real problem in many cities, and particularly in London at the moment, is that no matter how powerful the architect, in the end, uh, the developer and the needs of finances apparently dictate that there isn't the freedom to produce true public realm. Yes, I, I think uh, you're perfectly right. Um, I, I didn't uh, elaborate on uh, property aspects uh, of, uh, of land use in this lecture on purpose because it would, uh, you can have a complete lecture about this aspect uh, on its own. Um, but it is true that, uh, that uh, in this whole uh, quest, uh, the, the quest for a, uh, for a qualitative urban realm, the, 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 the question of property and especially the question of scale of property is, uh, is extremely important, and especially also the uh, question of the um, fluctuation of, uh, of land prices. Um, and um, this is, I, I, we, we have to, uh, I think we are now um, on a uh, moment that we have to uh, maybe re-discuss uh, this very strongly uh, on the political level um, in relation to potential legislation. Um, and it also happens in some places, um, for instance, um, the Dutch government just has announced, uh, I don't know if they will succeed in it, um, that they will tax uh, houses that are more, uh, that have a value of more than 1 million uh, euros uh, quite extremely uh, in order to, uh, to prevent uh, certain t types of, uh, of speculation. Um, I think that uh, you can see um, um, in the example of London, uh, that, uh, that there is something really uh, asking uh, about uh, the condition of, uh, of prices because the whole centre of London is uh, changing in foreign hands. Uh, one of the uh, reasons is that, um, which is very strange in the European Union, that um, foreigners that are going to live in London do not have to pay any tax when they do not earn their money in uh, the UK, uh, which means that I, uh, if I would uh, work in Rotterdam uh, and I would live in London, I, would have, I wouldn't pay any tax. And, uh, and of course, a, a, a set of these kind of conditions together with the, with the global uh, city uh, aspect of London attracts um, 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 a party of people 
that more or less uh, conquers the city, uh, leaving no space for uh, for, uh, for an, an average, also not even an elitist part, elitist part of local uh, population, to be part of uh, of the trade of uh, of, uh, of real estate, and. Um, that that happens that that goes to such alarming that, that leads to such alarming situations. I would say that there is a moment, and uh, I don't know how. It's 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 also uh, an item that we uh, um, we do not, as urban designers, do not like to go uh, to go into because we do not know enough about it and we are afraid of it. But I think there's an inevitable moment in which. Uh, uh, there should be done something about that by legislation in, uh, in modern cities. And what, what is also uh, the case is that most of the developments that are quite successful uh, in recent times uh, are most of the time revitalization projects. And these revitalization projects are most of the time uh, public property land that is being gradually changed into private land or being leased or, uh, or being uh, treated in another way. So um, I, I definitely agree with you that, that, that uh, in my discourse that's a kind of lack uh, which I didn't build in, but I also didn't build it in because it is, uh, it is so complicated and, and, uh, and so uh, loaded that you should, we should have, uh, maybe we should have a symposium on it especially. Criticism, but anyway, um, yes, please. Can you shout? I'm sorry, I don't know. Is there a roaming microphone or not? No. Okay. Well, I think identity is uh, is very much generated by community. Um, like the city is a, is a reflection of uh, of, of society, uh, identity is also a reflection of society. And um, the, one of the interesting things is that uh, I showed you this example of Turkey, uh, which uh, in which uh, the identity of the place is more generated by the uh, by the interference of squatters and, uh, and, uh, and poor immigrants that interfere with this kind of perfect uh, society than by the perfect society itself. And um, for instance, what, is very, what I think is a very uh, hopeful and interesting thing is that in this D Dutch suburb that I showed you, um, normally uh, there would be, uh, or formerly there would be living there, uh, uh, preferably white middle class uh, uh, families with two children and they open a car in front of their uh, uh, carport. Um, more or less, uh, they could do, uh, they could exchange husbands. Nobody would even notice. Um, but, 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 but recently, in the cities of Almere, 
for instance, which is a, which is a kind of similar suburb in the in the neighborhood of uh, of Amsterdam. There are uh, Hindustan Hindustan streets uh, being generated, or there are uh, Moroccan uh, quarters being generated in these uh, quality suburbs, creating an enormous uh, sense of identity because these people have such a strong uh, anti behavior or anti-culture in relation to that American dream. Uh, on, the, on the one hand, they comply fully with it, but on the other hand, they have such uh, strong uh, uh, traditions from other, uh, from other continents that that uh, creates an, uh, a very interesting condition. Um, so um, uh, the, 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 the aspect of identity, of course, lays for a very, for a very strong uh, part in uh, the uh, genius loci of the, of the area, uh, the quality of the topography, uh, the history of the place, etc. Um, but it, it is also, it is very strongly uh, possible to generate identity uh, by community in certain typological environments. And I think that's, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, for, for instance, uh, the, uh, the, the fact that in uh, cities like the, the city of Toronto is quite interesting, more, even more interesting in that respect than Los Angeles. If you go to Toronto uh, uh, around um, West Queen Street, the, it's a complete, originally, it's a complete suburban uh, district, but it has the uh, urbanity of, uh, of Greenwich Village in New York. So the, there is, a, there is a, a density and a culture invaded in an only two-story uh, high urban quarter, uh, which has no precedent. So in that respect, I agree with you. One, sh one should, of course, uh, be very careful in creating uh, with, uh, with uh, physical design means and with the genius loci quality uh, identity environments, uh, mod modulating with mixed use and with uh, density, etc. But the, the, the invasion of, of the communities and those are very strongly related to the uh, condition of society, are generating the most important component of identity, I would say. I think probably one or two more questions. Shabani. Uh, no. No. I mean, I mean, um, social justice is so very strongly depending on uh, on political conditions. Uh, you see that all over the world, and uh, in, in those terms, it's very hard to say that. Uh, I mean, certainly you could not say that by uh, by design you can. Uh, you can heal uh, certain uh, injustices. It's not possible. But you can, but you can certainly design a breeding ground uh, for a certain uh, quality, uh, for a certain exchange of, uh, uh, of of mentality that would not uh, happen on other in other designs. Maybe. I also must say, we are not theoreticians. We are designers uh, from origin. So we, th these, these, this list is also not complete. 
it's a kind of pragmatical checklist, a first pragmatical checklist that we employ when we design uh, quarters. Sorry? Can we separate design from policy? Can we make it more efficient? Yes, no, you can't. No. <laughs> no, because uh, let's say um, if you even look at a, uh, at a generic neighborhood, then, uh, then, then most of the time there is, there is uh, by some participants, by some dominating participant in the community uh, has been exerted a quite a strong design uh, act, even if they don't know that they have done that. And we can, as, as professional designers, we can extrapolate certain principles out of that. One last one. Going, going, yes. to educate letting agents? Well, I think, you know, I think that um, um, some um, investors, uh, especially in, in the harbor, uh, in former harbor and industrial uh, cities, have become quite uh, conscious of uh, what makes their real estate value uh, increase. Uh, for instance, uh, we have the experience in Amsterdam that uh, certain investors that would formerly make condominiums uh, in kind of one type and, uh, and uh, a shopping uh, and, and a congress center in the, in the foot. That these people now uh, allow uh, uh, temporary uh, 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 rehearsal rooms for, uh, for bands uh, to stay there. Uh, they uh, let the cheap uh, galleries uh, um, repair their own uh, warehouse, which they don't tear down anymore. Uh, they also do not uh, gentrify it immediately, but they leave it for a while. And um, they know that uh, by kind of um, strategically playing with, uh, with different uh, t temporary and permanent and <coughs> more successful and more stable and more bourgeois and more avant-garde groups, that therefore uh, on the right spots, I mean, this, this is only applicable in certain attractive areas, that uh, they, uh, the area could uh, develop itself to a kind of meeting point, urban meeting point, and that by uh, becoming such an urban meeting point, eventually uh, their real estate uh, in the long run increases in value much more than they would have uh, reached that when they would have simply made uh, upper middle class condominiums. That's a very interesting uh, development. I mean, the, you must not, you must not uh, underestimate the amount of, uh, of uh, 35 year old engaged uh, architects that have become investors or developers. Uh, that are uh, fooling around in, uh, in former harbor areas all over Europe and America. <laughs>
That sounds like a very good point to leave it. Thank you very much. Case, case,